Guys, welcome back to the After Action Review, Episode 5. You guys know me. I'm the world's most okayest Green Beret. Tonight, we have probably one of my favorite people on Twitter, Snake Eater 36 He's a, a Special Forces officer. He hails from 7th Group, but... He decided uh, life's taking him in a different direction, much like me. And I, I came from 5th to 19th group, and he came from 7th, and now he's with 20th group. He's a dive guy, so he wanted to be a SEAL, but didn't quite have the hair to do so. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, right? <laughs> so here he is. But you guys know him on Twitter as SnakeEater36, and the 36 I have to ask, is that the 3-6, I would think, refers to a team, but dive teams end in the number five. What's going on there? Yeah, so uh, I made that Twitter account, I think, uh, or either before I was a Green Beret or, like, right after. Uh, and it, it would have been um, before I got a team. But the 3-6 was – I was a third platoon gun platoon leader, so I was a 3-6. So that's okay. where I got that. And I don't want to do 9-5 because – that's an FSO thing, and so it is what it is. But Absolutely. Yeah. You got to yeah, play yeah. it cool, man. You got to yeah. play it cool. <laughs> so, I mean, just walking through, you know, I've always said when it comes, when it comes to, to Twitter personalities, when it comes to officer personalities, you know, in social media, Snake Eater is probably – he's probably the standard that's been set. And I'll and, – I say oh, that because, well, come on. I mean, I say that because, honestly, everybody's talking about the civilian-military divide, but nobody's talking about the enlisted officer divide. And there's a, there's, there needs to be a, a very important distinction and delineation between the officer side and the enlisted side. But at the same time, I think the O side needs to really check themselves when it comes to approachability and what it really means to lead officers. So I've always said, Hey, when it comes to this, this guy gets it. He really does. When it comes to what it takes to be a detachment commander for an operational detachment alpha, but more so what does it mean to young officers, young cadets? What does it mean to be a true leader, not a boss, but a leader because, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's a huge difference because you have a civilian career like I do now. There's a oh, yeah. difference between being a civilian boss and leading people in combat. I mean, that's a fact. Huge. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge difference. Um, I, and that's a lot to unpack. Um, and I think the Army, the Army likes to have a lot of kind of um, officer conversations with officers about what, what a good leader is. But NCOs don't have very good conversations with officers as to what a good leader is. Right. So you don't have like when you're doing LDPs, you usually have a brigade or battalion commander standing in front of a bunch of O's telling them how they became a brigade or battalion commander. You very rarely have a team sergeant or platoon sergeant standing in front of company commanders or platoon leaders saying what he's looking for in a good leader that's going to take his platoon platoon to success but you come into a platoon as some boot ass 01 first lieutenant if you're not prior service and this dude's this dude's literally could probably be your dad and has at least 10 to 15 years in service on you and you're going to tell this dude what's what so th there's there's some interesting dynamics that that um i think a lot of junior o's overlook and then a lot of senior o's because they 
become successful have a tendency to really poo-poo in terms of how they want to develop their leaders. But, but why does that short, I mean, why does that come about? I mean, that's a, that's an obvious shortcoming. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, is that, is that happen at the introductory level? Does that happen at the, at the OCS level, at the Rossi level, at the, the academy level? Or are they just not teaching officers or would be or to be officers to really embrace what a, a senior NCO or what a platoon sergeant or what a first sergeant has to say? You know, that, so that's an interesting, I, I've had this conversation before, and ironically enough, it was with my dad. Um, and the conversation we had was, like, what makes good leaders different, or what makes leaders, successful leaders different than everybody else? And I, I don't know, um, you know, I can't really speak for other officers, but what I can say is pro probably what's given me a little bit more insight or has helped me was um, I, I was I was raised by an NCO, and uh, the first thing I always kind of viewed enlisted guys as is like equals and humans. Like at the end of the day, like there's always a time and a place um, and you, you are the one in charge and you're responsible for what happens or doesn't happen uh, in, in terms of your platoon or your unit's performance. But like that organ, you're one guy and the rest of that organization or that platoon or they're all enlisted guys and your, your ass is on the line for them, and you have to gain that trust. And gaining that trust stems from not looking down on those guys or assuming that just because you have a college degree, you're better than them. So it's, it, it, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a really hard dynamic. I think the, um, the other thing is, is like the Army preaches this mentorship, right? You, like mm -hmm. you need to be a mentor. You're a leader. Always be a mentor. And I've always thought like you should be an advocate. You don't necessarily have like – you can't be a mentor to a guy with 15 years in the army, but you need to be his advocate. You need to be there and support him. Like he's probably going to be supporting you when some specialist is bad mouthing you because you can't, you know, qualify with an M4 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, does that really just boil down to kind of just, I mean, is it an ego check or is it the fact like even, even in the, in the private sector, like, all right, what, what is a second Lieutenant or a first Lieutenant? They're what middle management. Yeah. It's I mean, an ego it check. Is. Yeah, it I mean, it, it really is. Like, I mean, and, and, and I also think, like, I think, it's, I think it's a sense of humor, right? Because, like, if we're talking about field qualification where you're a brand-new PL and you get taped upside down to a tree, the successful, <laughs> like, the successful leaders that get field qualified are going to be dudes that laugh it off, dust themselves off, and understand that, like, this is nothing personal. The minute you take it personal and you view this as some sort of slight against your authority as a leader is the minute you – you, you kind of become a bad leader. Like you take, you can't take yourself too seriously all the time when, when bullets are flying, you know, that's when your authority matters. But when you're smoking and joking and you're and the platoon is relaxed and those guys crack a joke, like, I don't know, man, I never took anything personally and I never got field qualified again, but I've seen some people get field called over and over. <laughs> so, I mean that, I mean, I, I, guess that's what it boils down to is approach the job with a sense of humor. Don't take it too seriously. And, you know, listen, on, on, on Twitter, on social media, I think it's a, it's a interesting, an interesting dichotomy between like enlisted side takes and officer side takes. And you can tell who the, you, you can tell who the officers that take the time to, to learn about their Joes are. It, yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty easy. Um, 
but I, th- I think that might be something that's that's overlooked, and maybe that's just a maybe that's just a personality flaw or something. You know, I I don't know what it is, but um, I think that's important. And I I always point, you know, you yourself, you've been on social media, you you've put out you've put out information. Information I think is is critical reading for would be officers or goodness or or, well i'm serious man like seriously (laughs) i appreciate that i mean it it is it is what it is it's coming from the private sector side it's it's middle management and middle management the whole purpose of middle management is to act as a divide between upper management and the workforce that's that's the only that's the only reason middle management is there yeah exactly that's lost on a lot of people because they they get a little bit of of authority where they can give orders and and they expect people to execute and and that's okay but i think a lot of the humility that comes with the position and coming from from where i stand i i, I mean personally i could have easily have gone to oc i could have gone to ocs i didn't want to because i didn't want to spend time in the regular army i that was my reasoning but that humility and you need to, and I think a lot of people need to realize it's an absolute privilege. And this is what I was talking to and towards and to in the last episode was it's an, it's a privilege to lead soldiers. Yeah. And yeah, I it think, really I th- is. I think a lot of people, a lot of people have forgotten that e- even as an NCO, even as an NCO, like technically I'm not giving the orders. My, my purpose is to execute, set orders but when we get attached to a big army unit or we bring in big army to train it's a privilege to train those younger soldiers and i think that just needs to be that needs to become the new mindset that needs to become the new standard among amongst officers in the army they i think that's my opinion and correct me if i'm wrong i think that needs to become the mindset that we bring new officers into the fold. As. No, I think, I think you're hundred percent right. And I mean, like if I'm adding some gravity to the circumstances, like Please do. we're, you know, obviously we're still at war and everybody's tired of the GWAT, but at the end of the day, like it is what it is. Like we're still there. We still have, you know, guys deployed that are seeing action that are in direct combat. You're like, your job as a leader is to lead these guys, look at them in the eye and make them as effective as possible. And a lot of that revolves around understanding your men and, and being humble and being able to connect with them personally too. Like the, the best performers, you look at sports and I don't really like using a sports analogy, but you look at athletes that are, that run successful teams and they're, they're people first and leaders second, but they're able to combine both of those skills together, together to, to put themselves into, into a successful setting. In addition to that, like a lot of people are getting really frustrated about the army's standards or, or what the army's goal is. And at the end of the day, like our job is to go out there and, and, and kill the enemy full stop. Right. And so we have to hold ourselves and each other accountable. And like it, at the end of the day, like you're going to close with and destroy the enemy. And so you should be training especially if you're active duty, you should be training yourself and your people every day for, for that potential eventuality. And I think that like right now, I don't want to say right now, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of times where we kind of mislead ourselves in terms of like, you know, the, the army not doing what we want. And it's like, at the end of the day, like you're going to do what you're told because that's the ultimate goal. 
I mean, is are we just are we just living in a world that's ripe with symptoms and the fact that we're we're facing the tail end of the GWAT, right? It's, it, it's not the days where every unit was on a constant rotation. Everybody was getting ready to to mobilize and and gather gear and go to Afghanistan or Iraq. I mean, is it because combat rotations have become a rarity that we've kind of lost our way? I mean, you would think like in a, in a, in a heavily, in a, in a unit that is totally inundated with combat. And there's, there's, there's plenty of, of documentaries out there and, and, and visual works that kind of try their best to encapsulate those those moments but at the end of the day it's it's all it's all cerebral for the outside observer and and i think it's cerebral for the for the the brand new officer yeah i I mean i think have uh, have we lost that just because we're on the tail end of it and there's not necessarily an expectation you know eight nine years ago a, a new second lieutenant coming in they would know that they're going to war yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did. I mean, I, when I got my commission I, and I went to the 101st, I, I knew where I was going for 15 months. Like I knew what was going on. Um, I, well, I, I think, I think it's a couple things and I think it has a lot of layers to it. Um, if we're talking just the OCOR, you know, these are mostly kids that are finishing ROTC um, or coming out of West Point and not having the uh, social weight of 9-11 you know, putting them in that circumstance. I think your and my generation joined for a very specific reason and with a very specific intent. And I think it's kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to say wholesale, but I, it, it seems like the OCOR is kind of turning back to that pre 9-11 mentality of, you know, I, uh, I love my country and I want to serve. Um, but it, 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 I don't want to say it seems directionless, but it, I don't think it has nearly as much of the clear direction as, as maybe 9-11 you know, that 9-11 service generation has. To add to that, I think you have a really strong cadre of enlisted guys, especially senior enlisted, that have seen a lot of stuff, but I think it's stifled by careerism. I think it's stifled by O-careerism because the GWAT has completely accelerated the O-core to who's got the most stuff now that gets to the top as opposed to who's the best leader for this position. And so now you see these really, you know, pretty well decorated O's that have seen, you know, that it may have seen combat or may not have, but are there because of what, what they've done, not necessarily how they've led. And so you, you, like, you're not even managing organizations based on personality or fit. You're just doing it because this guy has a BSMV was in this, in this location, you know, and, and did well. That doesn't, but again, like, if you're in soft and you see that, like you're completely discounting the fact that this team sergeant probably carried this, you know, this commander for this rotation or whatever else. So I, I think officers are, are put on a pedestal a lot of time and promoted into these situations. And then they completely fail because they either don't have the backbone they need or the support they need or whatever. And that isn't to discount their performance or, or say their performance was any better. But I, th- I think the O-Corps right now is going through a crisis of conscience and it's, uh, it's kind of showing in terms of how we're uh, treating future missions. Okay. I mean, that's fair. I mean, you hate to say, Oh, you know, an army without a mission is, is has a tendency to get lackadaisical or something, but I, I, you know, I think there might be a little bit of truth to that. Yeah. I mean, we, 
I would, and you look at it, right? Like uh, I hate using this as an example because it's, it's fairly anecdotal, but when you're looking at, you, you know, you look at the last two years of casualties, all SF dudes are soft, right? You're, you're looking at a significant amount of special operations where we're, we're still putting meat to metal, so to speak. And I think a lot of the rest of the regular army is, I think they're being hamstrung a lot of times, but. I mean, that, that's, that also leads into another larger argument of, you know, kind of wh why are we over there? What are we doing over there? Why are we, you know, setting so many assets into Afghanistan? I mean, that, that we, you and I could talk about that for hours. For hours. I yep. mean, really. All right. So kind of moving away from that mentality of, all right, it, you know, take a commission, take command. And this kind of mindset that you and I had discussed, whether or not it, it, it stems from a lax day's goal or the knowledge that they aren't necessarily going to be in combat within, you know, within three, four months of them taking a unit. And so, but, and then transitioning uh, to the special operations world like you had mm -hmm. and going from a world where you are absolutely, you take your commander's intent and your commander's intent is a big shot, you know, absolutely a field grade, you know, high field grade. And he's passing it down to you. And then he's expecting you to do what's necessary to execute the mission. And then entering a world like SF where, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and say SF is an NCO led organization. 100% okay. agree. All right. So when it comes to that, and maybe not you necessarily, because you don't you don't have that personality. But for but for some on that side of the house, how do they reconcile going from being the the head honcho, the big cheese, to moving to an organization where you have career soft dudes who have eight, nine, ten deployments under you know with GWAT. And these guys are absolutely 100% combat tested leaders and entering a world like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean how, how do you reconcile that? I loved it, man, because I, I like, I knew I wasn't the best one on the block, right? Like I, I'm, I'm the, is an O in SF. You are the least experienced in terms of operational training in that team. So, so you show up and it's like, you, you basically just got introduced to at least six guys that can teach you all sorts of awesome shit for the next two years that you're on that team. And then if you have junior juniors, you get to grow with those junior and junior NCOs, right? Like you're an O, but those, that, that 18 echo, that junior 18 echo knows more about comms than you do. And he's 18 years old. Right. And the, and the 18, the junior 18 Delta knows more about trauma medicine than you do as a six year, you know, five, six year captain. And so like, that's that was the best feeling is showing up to a dive team getting told i'm going to dive school and then getting to, like and seeing all these guys that had all this knowledge right and now now you you're not sitting on an island in a platoon figuring out how to plan this op order you literally have dudes with ranger tabs that have spent time in ranger regiment or other units that can tell you hey look this is the right answer like you can you can you augment these guys to, you know, to selfishly, if you wanted to, to build your own career, or you can augment these guys to better yourself, you get better them, right? Like, there's just so many opportunities when you get onto a team to view it other than just I'm the commander. Because the minute you do that, you're, you are shutting off a door to all of that information and all that 
you know, all of what makes a team successful, just because you, just because you want to feel like the boss at the end of the day, like if the ODA is a car, you're sitting in the passenger seat, telling, giving the dude general directions and team daddy is in the driver's seat operationally driving that car. And you say, Hey man, I need you to get me from A to B. He can, he'll do all the turns. He knows, he knows how to drive this car. He knows what he's doing. You let him drive that car and he's going to get you to that place. And it might even be a little bit fun, but the minute you start telling him to turn left or right, everybody in the car is going to be really pissed at you. He's going to be mad <laughs> that you're backseat driving. Like it is what it is. And my dad gave me that analogy. And that's been the, that, that analogy quite honestly has been the best analogy to approach uh, leading an ODA that, that I've had. In addition to that, I showed up to the team with a mop, a box of crayons, and a six-pack. <laughs> and I literally said, hey, guys, I'm here. I'm here for a couple summers. I'm going to be in the corner if you need me. Beer's in the fridge. I'll clean up when you're done. And I, I knew – I did a little bit of research. <laughs> I did a little bit of research, and I knew this dive team was extremely aggressive. And so I wanted to kind of take the piss out of these guys, and I showed up with that. And, it, and the team starting goes – that was the best way you could have approached it. You got a little bit of humor. You knew where you stood. Like, let's get you to dive school. You'll be one of the family. No problem. And it's, it, it, I mean, it works, right? Like, cause you're, you, you may be the, you may have a college degree, but you may be the least educated. A lot of times deltas are going towards get their PA team sergeants. I mean, there's, they're no slackers, man. Mine was getting his master's degree. Like you, you, you will have equals. You treat your equals like equals. It's, it's, same way in the civilian world, right? You may have a manager that, that has a bachelor's degree. You may have a, you know, a master's or whatever. He's still your boss. He's still giving you, you know, instructions on how to execute stuff. But he, he if he's a good boss, he's going to ask you, you know, what your opinion is. Is there's a better way around this? Absolutely. Like an SF team leader. So it seems like the, the big takeaway is what? Check the ego at the door and bring a case of beer. Oh, dude, all the, every day. <laughs> that would be my number one suggestion is be ready to learn because you, you will learn. All right, God, I, I, hope, I hope the next generation, I really, I, and I say this with 100% sincerity, I really hope the next generation of officers heed your words because it, it, is, it is incredibly important. Whether or not you're on the conventional side, or your career takes you to the soft side. It, it, it really is. Because at, at the end of the day, especially on the soft side, it's a team. It's a team effort. And everybody's opinion, everybody on that team's opinion is valued. And they take every single thought that might come across around a round table when it comes to mission planning, things like that. They take it seriously. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on field grades when I say this, but like it, your OER, <laughs> is ahead, important. just say it. <laughs> your OER <laughs> is important, but your OER isn't what uh, an O4 says on a piece of paper. Your OER is when that NCO emails you two years down the road and it's like, Hey man, I was thinking about you today at the range and I want to let you know, I really appreciate what you did for the team or the captain that you ripped out with or whatever was like, Hey man, can you give me some advice for whatever, whatever I really respected how the team was with you. And I want to know what made you successful, right? Like it's those things that are your no shit OER. I, I've gen I've, and I, I say this with all sincerity. I have never cared about senior rater comments. I've cared um, about what the majors I respect have to say about me. And for the rest of the time, my goal has been to get guys back home safe and to lead them appropriately 
towards whatever whatever mission success my commander gave me was. Period. Oh my god, you are <laughs> you are a rare gem and a sea, <laughs> a sea of coal. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that because honestly, I think that we can beat a dead horse. I think you've you've made. I think you've made your point. I think you've made a good point. And, Thank you. Uh, and I hope I hope I hope the next generation. Uh, listens to what you have to say. All right, moving on to something yeah. that's a little less serious than leading men into combat, but still important in the DOD today. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. It's woke military Twitter. Ooh, how I miss it. Oh, it's literally... <laughs> I wake up and and it just fuels me because I know I'm I'm I know I'm gonna I'm gonna turn on my phone and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up and I'm gonna see some I'm gonna see some garbage that's just gonna send me into a rage. Yeah, and there's like levels of it, like they're, like who, who uh, was it Murphy was talking about like the reaching woke back mountain, and it is. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's you've got you've got. Um, so I kind of took the thunder from you, but like you have different echelons of it you've got some people that are genuinely liberal and li- politically liberal um that are that are that just that just lean left like they're just left-leaning soldiers and 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 it's kind of this it's 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 passable for being able to have an adult conversation and, and, to- and, and disagree and, right and i just want to say that is totally okay yeah 100 percent. and totally. and we're look if you had an army full of you know, right wingers or whatever, to whatever degree you wanted, (laughs) you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't have all the leaders that you wanted. And there are like, I know some, some very good, uh, extremely liberal SF officers uh, that are currently serving in the regiment today. Great dudes, awesome leaders. Uh, I completely disagree with their stance on firearms, politics, et cetera, but they're still really good guys. And then there are people who you almost, it's almost like it's, I, like if, when I got on Twitter, I thought it was a troll because I could not imagine people <laughs> being so vehemently blind in terms of their uh, political leaning that they, that some of the stuff they say is just, it, I mean, it, it, it's peak hilarity. Like it would almost be funny if you realize that these people weren't le- leading men and women overseas. And that's, and that's <laughs> my big issue, man. And, and it's not just that they're leading men and women, but you know, in the realm of social media, they com- they command audiences. They command yeah. general officers and policy experts and wants and 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 congressional staffers. Like if you were to pull up some of the most prolific, and and like Murphy said, it's woke back mountain and you have to pay your dues. But if you pull up the most prolific riders of that clown show ride. You're going if you pull up their followers list, you're going to find an incredible, incredible list of who's who in DC. Oh yeah, yeah. And and it, what's even what's even more funny is you, you, when you look at their uh, resume or you look at their background, it's like it, it's it's uh, it's very forgettable. And I think I, I don't want to say it's compensation. But it, it 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 smacks so much of it because it's like uh, I you you read and it's it's very it's very strong on on, on other ends of the spectrum too. But the first thing they is is you get this as a soldiered 
right? As a, as a veteran of five years in uh, a communications company, I'm very uh, skilled with an M4, right? Or whatever. And it's just, you read this and it's like, yeah, as I'm sure civilians think that's really important. And, and anybody who wants to take advantage of it and be like, oh, you're bad mouthing a veteran. But the veteran community sees that and it's like, this person's a turd. <laughs> what? <laughs> but I mean, and, the, and that's the thing, like, it, as you said, their resumes are, what, lukewarm at best, room temperature at best? Yeah. I mean, it, like, these are the people that, like, you, you, like, you pushed away in the chow hall. Like, I hate, I mean, I hate to yeah, use but, but they're the, on them, but like. But, but they're the <laughs> ones that, that rate the, the important people listening to them. It's, and, and, and that's what's so strange to me is, is, is can you imagine somebody uh, wanting to implement policy uh, on like, for example, like a PT test in term, and a PT test is generally a measurement of your fitness in combat when these people have spent very little time in combat, no time in combat, whatever, and their opinion is completely based on their personal experience, right? Yeah. It, it's absolutely, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm, I mean, I guess they're happy with push-up, sit-ups, and a run. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, if, that, if that's the standard, I mean, that's the standard. But right. nowadays, it's not because, oh, my God, the United States Army actually went out and did some research. Right. And they figured out what, what are the movements that people use in combat most often and what is, what is important. So they create this, this ACFT, and, and what happens? It, it's... It, it's a new it's new to some people some soldiers might have to work a little bit harder to pass certain events <clears throat> like tuck and <laughs> instead of just going out and doing it they they l- launch a crusade on social media with with a following that includes like we said important people and people listen to what they have to say and they just go off on this tirade about how uh, this new test is designed to kick women out of the military or, or things like that. I mean, I, I'll always say, I will always say, when it comes to this, like, talking, people go, oh, you know, this, that, or another thing, it's not important. In combat, it, you, might be, you might be doing a – you might have to get over a wall. I mean, if you have some – some IDF coming in or you have to, to, you know, prosecute a, a target building because you're taking down a, an HVT or something like that. You, you have to do these things. Like the army has determined it's important. You can't just say, Oh, well that's designed to be discriminatory against my gender. Like you, you just can't say that it's the army or am I wrong here? Like it's the army. You have to meet their standards. It's not an equal opportunity uh, employer. You, you, you're absolutely right. And, and what's funny is, I, I mean, I, I assume you've done it too, but like all SF dudes have done Safawik or some form yeah. of kind of, you know, that urban combat stuff. And it gets more and more physically demanding. And it's, and it's all, it all stems from experiences that, you know, direct action guys have experienced, right? And so you're lifting yourself up and out of attics. You're moving with kit, right? And, and, and so obviously SF dudes have to be fit. SF dudes have to pass the ACFT. Um, but the excuse for, you know, like what I saw a lot of that was, that, that would frustrate me was, okay, well, I'm not doing that. You know, you don't need some, some, yeah. you know, some pogue or whatever to do that. And it's like, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right until you do. And then when you do what, what happens, right? What, like there are plenty of initial or um, there's plenty of conversations when, 
Iraq first hit off and Afghanistan first hit off when log trains got hit, right? And I'm telling you right now, like fitness is what matters. It may not reflect your ability as a leader, but it's going to reflect your overall ability as a soldier. And if you're not fit, regardless of what MOS you are or where you hail from, it is going to drastically affect your ability to react, your ability to move, and your ability to save people, quite honestly. I mean, at the end of the day, a soldier is a soldier. I don't care what your MOS is. Yep. When you, when you boil it down, yeah, you might be admin or you might be a cook, but at the end of the day, you're there to support the war fighting. You're, you are. And if, if, if low-intensity conflicts or as defined by, you know, policy experts, you know, Iraq was defined as low intensity conflict. It was, I mean, you might, you know, guys who are in the streets of Fallujah might disagree, but for, as a definition, it was a low intensity conflict. Yeah, I mean, you don't have dudes living in patrol bases in Iraq. Like, and I don't mean patrol bases in like built up patrol bases. I mean, you're not digging a slit trench going into a triangle. No. Clean, like ranger school clean in 240s yeah. and and like you want to talk about being physically fit like i mean the, that that mentality if you go, you go to a near peer conflict it's you, gonna be- acft is is going to be the least of your worries Seriously. sleep is like you, i mean you're going to be running on two hours of sleep for for months on end like the the game will change and if you're if you being physically fit in GWAT's important, being physically fit in a near peer environment isn't even a. Is it's it's going to yeah you it's it's going to be at the top of your at, at your priority list and that, and that's yeah. what I was saying like in in a low intensity conflict we we saw support personnel in combat all the time yeah all, all the time and their ability to perform under fire was paramount and we saw Absolutely. and and we and we saw the failures in it too. Jessica Lynch is a perfect example of what happens when a support unit doesn't prepare for combat. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It was, it was a sad story. We lost a lot of good soldiers, but that that's the reality of war. But as you say, if, as we, and as we continue on into the 21st century, low intensity conflict is, is being put on the back burner because the near pure, as you said, that's the next big thing. Yeah, and low intensity is the standard, right? Like it is. We've fought it for so long, like, and we've gained a lot of really good institutional and doctrinal knowledge. Um, but I think for a long, I hate, I hate saying this because I sound like just some sort of generic officer. But like, we we've focused on that for so long that I th- I think we've lost a lot of the sharpness when it comes to how we approach that that near peerness, right? And it's I don't want to say like we haven't grown fat on our own success, but we certainly haven't gotten skinny on it either. No, absolutely not. And I think, you know, you can, you can talk all the crap you want on like the, the United States Army or the United States military in a whole of the 1980s and the 90s, right? Like they dealt with a lot of budget cuts and things like that, but they trained to go to war against the Soviet menace. And oh, the yeah. Soviet menace was going to be the fight of their life it, it was it was going to be nasty it was going to be hand-to-hand it was going to be killed or be killed there was no two ways about it we're not talking about casualties in the thousands we're talking about casualties in the tens of thousands yeah easily and you think i mean you talk about uh you know this generation of leaders leading platoons into that and the the first thing i think is like okay what have we cut out of obc and what have we cut out of training programs that are going to hamstring these guys? Because I, because I don't, I don't want to think that it's the, 
people. I want to think it's the organization that, that, that may be kind of shortchanging a lot of the leaders. And, and, and I think it does, but I think obviously it has that trickle down effect in terms of their development. And then when they get to a platoon or a unit, that's where the failure starts. Right. So I think it's, yeah. it's a little bit layered, right? You may have leaders that, that come in and are completely junior and kind of have a chip on their shoulder. And then they go into this training and they don't have what they need in order to succeed. And then they get into a platoon and it fails. Right. And so like, this is, this is kind of my worry for if we evolve into this near peer conflict of what might happen. You know, and, and to the, to the armies, to their defense, they have kind of shifted towards that in terms of, of the, you know, well, at least in soft, I can only, I can only speak to my experience. I didn't spend any time in a conventional unit. I'm not currently in a conventional unit, so I can't speak to that, but at least where I am, we've kind of shifted towards that, that near peer. Yeah. I think it's because we see the threat too. Like, because when we go so in, is big, is so is big army just, yeah. Well, I, I think, yet. I think they see the threat, but I think because of our, I don't know how to explain it other than our proximity, right? Because we, we, I think we see more than just Afghanistan and Iraq. We see the prevalence of Russian influence in other countries. You know, mm -hmm. especially you go to Eastern Europe, you go to Bulgaria, you hang out in those AOs and you see a no kidding peer influence that is capable of, you know, U S like information, Intel gathering and activity. You, you know, in the regular army doesn't see a lot of that because they're, you know, they may go do a JCS exercise and they're just going to jump out of a plane with the 82nd and do yeah. some fire maneuver drills and they're going back home. And, and honestly, man, like on, on Twitter, there was literally a post. I didn't pull it up because I didn't think we'd be talking Russia, but there was literally a post by a conventional side officer who goes, Oh my God. Like we were, we were in Eastern Europe for like an exercise, like jumping in with the 82nd. And they had a conversation between this battalion commander and this platoon leader, or maybe it was a company commander. I can't remember. doesn't matter. Hmm. And they had this conversation on open comms and the battalion commander hung up and he got a call from a number he didn't realize on this local cell phone. And the whole conversation that he just had with his company commander was replayed to him. Oh, dude. Yeah, Dude, like, like this, like seriously, like I, I, I don't know what it is, but like if you're going to be playing, like I, maybe the army just needs to play catch up. Like if you're going to be playing in in Russia's backyard, you need to, they need to get, they need to get wise as to what Russian capes are. They really do. Yeah, I mean, so in in, I mean, we, oh gosh, I could go on about this because of my 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 recent experience but even the concept of unconventional warfare in terms of you know um disguising your signature uh not not alluding to any american presence like not sf dudes but there are other people within the soft community that don't even understand that and it's not that they it's not that they don't understand russia is a threat or there's a there's a peer threat it's that that we don't know how to handle it we have been we've gotten so used to using social media we've gotten so used to just broadcasting our information out there that you can pick and choose you know when you want to grab that information and i obviously have some experience on it on twitter you know finding people within soul and valor but it's the i mean quite honestly it's the exact same theme i can find i Unit unit organizations are easy to find. I can find out who's the unit of this, who's the leader of this cavalry unit. Go to their Facebook page, 
find their FRG and then start just going down the line of who's married to who, who can do what. And it's like, you know, your secret clearance doesn't matter so much as, okay, I know you have a secret clearance. Now I'll just find your wife and leverage your wife for information or I'll leverage somebody else for information. So, I mean, I, background checks for secret clearances are obviously important, but at the end of the day, like it, it matters very little because of the, the broad reach that social media is um, allowed uh, bad actors to be able to leverage against you. I, I agree. And I, and I say that as a guy who's non-anonymous on social media, but you know, I would never ever put something really important now, but you're, you're right. <laughs> you know, but you're right. I mean, it is, it's just this, it's just, it's this new world that social media has become totally intertwined in, in lives and it's become intertwined in, in within the army. I mean, you yeah, have, you have, I, I can name one, I, I'm not going to, but you, you know who I'm talking about. One specific PAO officer who views like Twitter as a massive, massive tool and social media as a massive tool in, in the yeah. future of the army. And part of me goes, hold up. Cause you know, e- even sharing personal details, e- even personal details that, that could become, that could easily become a, a, a security issue or a potential you know, weak link in the armor of, of exploiting us service personnel. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's really a murky water to tread too. I, I do some of this in my civilian job. And the, and the hard part is, is, you know, as a, as a bad actor, how do you target people uh, or how do you target what is leverageable? Right. Because there's plenty of things where it's like, you know, you may think it's easy to leverage somebody for this information, but if they don't care, they don't care. And it's going to be hard to get that information out of them. Um, Absolutely. But, but to add to that, I mean, like the, the problem with social media is anonymity is only camouflage. You, you're only as anonymous as un, as unimportant as you are, because there's always somebody better that can always find your information out. And so even, even me speaking from the, you know, the background of anonymity is somebody good enough could easily find out who I am. And then it, and then it's a conversation of, all right, red, you know, what skeletons in your closet do I want to dig up? And I would, okay, fair enough. Dig up as many as you want. It'll be interesting because the, the one thing I've always been able to argue is, okay, so you're going to dox me and you're going to find out that I'm a green beret. Like, congratulations. You just validated me. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I, I don't have much to lose, but what I have to lose is, you know, my family's anonymity, which is really yeah. all I care about. And if I, you know, if I got docs, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm a green beret. I'm like, what else? <laughs> wow. They could find out you're a dive guy. And, uh, and I shave, I shave my legs. They yeah. Got me. Sh- it literally, literally <laughs> the, the least cool dudes in the regiment. All right, brother. Well, I'm not going to keep you red. I appreciate you coming on, man. We, we learned, I, I learned a lot because it's honestly the officer perspective isn't something I listen to a whole lot. Keep um, it that way. <laughs> I mean, I, I spend a lot of time kind of ranting and raving as, as, as this, I, I don't want to say I'm not a senior NCO because I'm not a senior NCO, but I'm an older NCO who's been around the block and I, I didn't grow up in the army. I joined the army after college. So maybe there is a little bit of a streak of, you can't tell me what to do. Uh, I think it, that's a streak in all SF guys though. Cause that's I, I mean, probably, that's probably true. I, I don't want to say the term is insubordinate. 
But well, no, because I'm pretty sure that's an actual UCMJ violation. Yeah, yeah, but but like <laughs> I I think a lot of good officers, good enlisted guys, good people in general within honestly all of the army are the ones that can piss off their commander by asking the right hard questions. And voice <laughs> about it. So you're 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 good in my book. All right, hey brother. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. We'll have you on again, man. That, this was fun. It's just a conversation. That's all I kind of want out of this podcast. It's just a hey, kind of, I'm a conversation. Yours. You, uh, whenever you need me, I'm, I'll be around. Beautiful. All right, brother. Red Devil, three six, an actual dive guy, not an actual uh, team ending in six. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> Peace. Later. All right, guys. Thanks for joining. You know what it is.